Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show, as we uh, weather the cultural revolution together. <laughs> Man, Drew Brees has apologized. I will get to that. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. There is something bizarrely like the the uh, cultural revolution of Mao going on with the American left now. Uh, you, you say... Uh, you say the wrong thing, suddenly you got to be destroyed. You're forced to apologize. Drew Brees being forced to apologize. Uh, you you say the wrong thing. You're out of a job. You say all lives matter. Well, you're a racist um, for, for believing that. Uh, you, you, you've you got to shut up and listen. <clears throat> and then after you've shut up and listened, if you say something that deviates from what you've heard, uh, then you must go away to re-education camps. It's very, very bizarre. We I want to spend some time on that. But the big story of the day is not actually that. It is the the General Mattis uh, letter. Uh, General Mattis has spoken. Now, I, I need to put into contact, uh, context uh, James Mattis. James Mattis is a beloved Marine general. Uh, you, can, you can say that you can dismiss that at your peril. James Mattis is, is an American war hero. He was dismissed by Barack Obama uh, for his aggressiveness and his assertiveness and his unwillingness to go along with the, the namby-pamby agenda of Barack Obama when he came to Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, he then re- resigned. Uh, yeah, Donald Trump did not fire James Mattis. He accepted his letter of resignation. Mattis was so upset with what the president intended to do in Syria, he quit. Uh, it was actually an honorable thing for him to do. He did not go out and smear the president. Reporters came calling, asking him to trash the president. He refused. He kept his mouth shut. He's had enough. And you've got to deal with what James Mattis says. You can disagree with him, but you can't dismiss him. Uh, he he has released this statement, and he is not uh, happy with the direction of things. Uh, he writes, we must reject any thinking of our cities as a battle space that our uniform military is called upon to dominate. At home, we should use our military only when requested to do so on very rare occasions by state governors, militarizing our response, as we witnessed in Washington, D.C., sets up a conflict, a false conflict between the military and civilian society. It erodes the moral ground that ensures a trusted bond between men and women in uniform and the society they are sworn to protect and of which they themselves are a part. Keeping public order rests with civilian state and local leaders who best understand their communities and are answerable to them. We do not need to militarize our response to protests. We need to unite around a common purpose. Donald Trump, I'm skipping around. Donald Trump is the first president in my lifetime who does not try to unite the American people, does not even pretend to try. Instead, he tries to divide us. We are witnessing the consequences of three years of this deliberate effort. We are witnessing the consequences of three years without mature leadership. We can unite without him, drawing on the strengths inherent in our civil society. This will not be easy, as the past few days have shown, but we owe it to our fellow citizens, to past generations that bled to defend our promise, and to our children. We can come through this trying time stronger and with a renewed sense of purpose and respect for one another. The pandemic has shown us that it is not only our troops who are willing to offer the ultimate sacrifice for the safety of our community. Americans in hospitals, grocery stores, post offices, and elsewhere have put their lives on the line in order to serve their fellow citizens and their country. We know that we are better than the abuse of executive authority that we witnessed in Lafayette Square. 
We must reject and hold accountable those in office who would make a mockery of our Constitution. At the same time, we must remember Lincoln's better angels and listen to them as we work to unite only by adopting a new path, which means in truth, returning to the original path of our founding ideals. Will we again be a country admired and respected at home and abroad? Now, it is only a matter of time before James Mattis is attacked by the Black Lives Matters crowd for daring to say uh, we must return to the original path of our founding ideals. You, you know it's coming. Uh, he's already being attacked by some people on the left uh, for uh, being a warmonger. And why should we listen to this neocon warmonger? Some, some on the left are outraged. Very much like, you know, George Bush came out, George H. Or George W. Bush came out, released a kind statement about the George Floyd situation, a very diplomatic, leaderly statement. And the left bounced on him. He's a war criminal. We can't listen to him. It's all a very cultural revolution. You, you can't dismiss James Mattis because James Mattis has a lot of clout. Uh, he is thought very highly of by a lot of people, particularly inside the military. It is very interesting uh, that also the Secretary of Defense has come out now and said he does not support invoking the Insurrection Act. Donald Trump, Secretary of Defense, publicly disagreeing with the President of the United States. That American service members are willing to fight and die for. At times, however, the United States military is asked, in support of governors and law enforcement, to help maintain law and order so that other Americans can exercise their rights free from violence against themselves or their property. That is what thousands of guardsmen are doing today in cities across America. It is not something we seek to do, but it is our duty, and we do it with the utmost skill and professionalism. I was reminded of that Monday as I visited our National Guardsmen who were on duty Monday night protecting our most hallowed grounds and monuments. I'm very proud of the men and women of the National Guard who are out on the streets today performing this important task, and in many ways, at the risk of their own welfare. I've always believed and continue to believe that the National Guard is best suited for performing domestic support to civil authorities in these situations in support of local law enforcement. I say this not only as Secretary of Defense, but also as a former soldier and a former member of the National Guard. The option to use active duty forces in a law enforcement role should only be used as a matter of last resort and only in the most urgent and dire of situations. We are not in one of those situations now. I do not support invoking the Insurrection Act. That's a pretty big deal coming from the president secretary of defense, who I am told very reliably was incensed about the walk across Lafayette Square. That appears to have triggered a number of members of the military. Remember General Honore uh, after Katrina, uh, this guy who came up with the phrase stuck on stupid. He today has come out as well and said he's blocked Donald Trump on Twitter. Uh, being a one term president isn't so bad. Time to move on. Uh, this is actually when you have members of the, the respected members of the military establishment say these things the president has a problem and i don't know that the president knows he has a problem and here's the thing you can disagree with him but you can't dismiss them because their words actually have clout now the reason they have clout is because the military is the last respected institution in america and i'm sure you could have a bunch of people in the q movement say oh this is some sort of deep state conspiracy but most people aren't into that most people pay attention to it i i but you can disagree with general mattis you can disagree with honoree you can even disagree with esper 
I don't actually disagree with Esper. Um, I want to I, I, I want to lay forth my my campaign plan for the president. But on Mattis, I would say that I thought Barack Obama typically tried to divide us. I, I don't think he can say he's the that uh, Donald Trump is the first president in our lifetime to try to divide us. Now, uh, Mattis was not in this country for Barack Obama's administration. He was abroad a lot. So he didn't see these sorts of things. But remember, uh, Barack Obama told his supporters to take guns to knife fights. Barack Obama told Hispanic voters the Republicans were their enemy. Barack Obama told people to get in their neighbors' faces and argue with them. Barack Obama actually told people to report their neighbors if they were lying about Obamacare. Let's not say Barack Obama didn't divide people. At moments of national unity, Barack Obama would come out and uh, call for gun control when, when kids were slaughtered. immediately come out and say, oh, it's, it's the NRA enabling this stuff. He would divide routinely. Barack Obama was a divider, not a uniter. I disagree with General Mattis. But also, if you're still defending the march across Lafayette Square by the president, you, you got problems here. I, I would say that your partisanship is causing you to distort the view of what's going on out there. The president, well, and again, give the president every benefit of the doubt, although we do now know, so smoke canisters and pepper balls were used. It wasn't pepper spray. It wasn't tear gas. It was smoke canisters and it was uh, pepper balls. They were firing essentially pepper into the crowd uh, to clear the crowd out and rubber bullets. The crowd was not as peaceful as some of the media said, but they were clearing them out so the president could go across the street. And that has been let slipped from the Department of Defense that they knew the park had to be cleared out so the president could go somewhere. There's no reason for us to, to spin this or lie. Truth matters. But... There's still a path forward for the president here. So much of the media is out to get him. And the left is out to get him. And I do really believe that a lot of these protests that are going on, they're continuing to be stirred up by left-wing agitators trying to destabilize things to get people to turn against the president or have the president overplay his hand. I I, I gotta I gotta I, I, I've got a suggestion. I think that what the president should do is he should not do anything. I think what the president should do is that it, it it's really, really, difficult for him to want to stay put and stay quiet and not do anything. But I think the president should do nothing. And when the media comes out and asks, the president should say, well, these are Democratic mayors and Democratic governors, and look what they're doing to their states. Contrast them with Republican governors in Republican states and see how peaceful things are. Why is it that in Democratic cities, in Democratic states, we're having violence and riots, and in Republican states, they're keeping people safe and getting people back to work? Why is it that in New York City, do you know, two cops last night, let me let me find the story again. 
Um, this just hit the wires a little while ago from the Wall Street Journal. Here we go. Uh, in New York City, New York officer stabbed two shot while guarding against looting. A suspect was also shot in a critical condition. Officers expected to recover. The New York Police Department officers were shot, and two New York police officers were shot, and one was stabbed in the neck on a Brooklyn Street Wednesday night while guarding against looting that had followed peaceful protests over the death of George Floyd. A male suspect who stabbed one of the officers was also shot, said New York Police Department Commissioner Dermot Shea, who described the scene as chaotic and involving 22 shots being fired. All three officers were in stable condition and were expected to recover. Preliminary investigation shows the stabbing and subsequent gunfire unfolded at 11.45 p.m. as two officers guarded a busy commercial district at Flatbush Avenue and Church Avenue. I I think the president should do nothing. Let the Democratic states with the Democratic cities have the chaos and then point out, look, this isn't happening to Brian Kemp's Georgia. This isn't happening to Ron DeSantis' Florida. This isn't happening in Greg Abbott's Texas. This isn't happening in Mark DeWine's Ohio. This isn't happening in in pick your Republican state. Why is it happening in Democratic states? Why are the Democrats doing this? My job is to keep you safe and get you back to work, and the Democrats aren't keeping you safe, and they're not letting you get back to work. You can go out and you can protest, but you can't go to church. You can go out and protest, but you can't go to work. Here's the thing, and, and this is the bottom line, and I want to spend a little more time on this when we come back. The issue here is not James Mattis. The issue here is not General Honore. The issue here is not Secretary Esper. The issue here is not Black Lives Matters. The issue here are not the riots. The issue here is not the protests. The issue here is not the Democrats. The issue here is the economy, stupid. 71% of Americans say the biggest issue is going back to work and the economy. They don't have to like the president, but if he gets the economy going again... People are going to vote for him, and he can point and say, look, 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 these Democratic states with these Democratic mayors, they've been destroying businesses, and you can't go back to work there. But in these Republican states with Republican policies, you can go back to work. And my job as president is to keep you safe and get you back to work. He's He's got a path forward in this, but he's got to keep his eye on the prize. And the Democrats have turned his strength into a weakness. What is that? I'll tell you when we come back. I do need to load back up some recipes, don't I? Okay, let let me spend a few moments on this. And by the way, I'll take your phone calls too. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 is the phone number if you want to call in and be a part of the program. I wrote a piece this morning. Uh, You can go to theresurgent.com and read it uh, on what the president's message needs to be. And I really, he's trying law and order. And I don't think law and order works. Uh, The reason I don't think law and order works is because it's been done before. It's also the name of a TV show. And when you look at the underlying polling, what actually is the big issue for voters is going back to work. And I think that you get people back to work and that's going to matter more than anything. Listen, here's the thing I've learned. There are a lot of people who consider themselves principled and they're really not. There are a lot of people who have a lot of principles until those principles are are challenged by their pocketbook and their pocketbook comes first. 
So there are a lot of people who may hate the president, but if their 401k is growing with him, they'll stick with him. In fact, uh, there's a lot of data out there that shows a lot of the people who don't like the president actually think he would be better than Joe Biden at getting the economy going again. And so I don't think the president should use the message law and order. That's not his campaign theme. I think his campaign theme is I'll keep you safe and I'll get you back to work. Republicans will keep you safe and get you back to work. And this works perfectly with everything and is a great contrast with Joe Biden. Joe Biden can't keep you safe and get you back to work because he's aligned with the rioters. I'll keep you safe and get you back to work. China? Well, we can't be dependent on China for our medicine and national security. We need I need to keep you safe and put you back to work, and we can reallocate resources to build manufacturing in the United States and bring back our domestic drug production from China so that you're not dependent on China for your antibiotics. I'm going to keep you safe, and I'm going to put you back to work, and we're going to put those facilities in rural areas of this country and get people educated and back to work. National security? Well, I'm going to keep you safe and I'm going to put you back to work. The virus? Well, the Democrats don't want you to come out of your house unless you're going to riot and burn out a business. I want you to be methodical and coming out of your house and going back to work. The vaccine? Well, we are trying to keep people safe and get people back to work. And part of that is trying to find a vaccine. And Joe Biden's not doing that. In fact, Joe Biden was in government for 40 years and brought you all the policies that you think are discriminatory. And I signed criminal justice reform and got the black men who Joe Biden sent to jail out of jail because I'm going to keep you safe and I'm going to put you back to work. What are you going to do for the black community, Mr. President? Well, they deserve to be kept safe and put back to work, too. I'm going to create jobs in the black community and we're going to keep them safe. He's got a message. See, okay, that what is the president's core strength? The, the Democrats have finally done their little political jujitsu. They figured out how to turn his strength into a weakness. The president's core strength is he's a fighter and he fights. And he'll come after you. And the media have now figured that out. See, the president could send the media off in directions with his Twitter feed. And he wanted the media to focus on something. By God, he'd start tweeting about it, and they, they may disagree with him, and they may hate him for it, but they'd go do it. And now the media has figured out how to get the president unfocused because they're firing shots all over the place, knowing the president's going to keep swinging in every direction. And so now the president's swinging in so many directions, he's off balance. And because he's off balance, he's off message. And because he's off message, he's not resonating right now. None of this matters. None of this matters. The riots don't matter. The protests don't matter. The virus doesn't matter. Joe Biden doesn't matter. General Mattis doesn't matter. General Honore doesn't matter. Uh, the Rod Rosenstein hearings, they don't matter. The Russia stuff doesn't matter. The China stuff doesn't matter. What matters is keeping people safe and getting them back to work. You get people back to work, they may hate your guts, but they're going to vote for you because they may hate you, but they love their 401k and they're going to reward you for helping their 401k. Focus, 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 focus. We're going to keep people safe and get them back to work. You do that, you get reelected. You don't do that, you lose to Joe Biden. Because Joe Biden's message is what people think they want right now. What people think they want right now is calm from the chaos and peace. 
See, the, the agitators, the agitators are agitating because they want to keep people in chaos. The agitators are agitating because they want everybody discombobulated. The agitators are agitating because they want people to blame the president. And because they know the president's going to swing in every direction, he's going to start missing and he's going to be off his game. And they're going to say, see, the president is making the situation worse. The president's not uniting us. He's dividing us. There has been a complete meltdown about Tom Cotton in the New York Times. Um, it is, it's, it's bizarre. And I, I, it, it really, I, I'm, I'm actually just, it, it tells you everything you need to know about a certain segment of our population. Tom Cotton he put an edit, uh, an op-ed, not an editorial. It's an, an op-ed opposite the editorial page. Tom Cotton put an op-ed in the New York Times. Uh, Send in the troops. The nation must restore order. The military stands ready. I want to read you, and I'm going to spend a minute reading this because you need to, to process this. This week, rioters have plunged many American cities into anarchy, recalling the widespread violence of the 1960s. New York City suffered the worst of the riots Monday night as Mayor Bill de Blasio stood by while Midtown Manhattan descended into lawlessness. Bands of looters roved the streets, smashing and emptying hundreds of businesses. Some even drove exotic cars. The riots were carnivals for the thrill-seeking rich as well as other criminal elements. Outnumbered police officers encumbered by feckless politicians bore the brunt of the violence in New York State. Rioters ran over officers with cars on at least three occasions. In Las Vegas, an officer is in grave condition after being shot in the head by a rioter. In St. Louis, four police officers were shot as they attempted to disperse a mob, throwing bricks and dumping gasoline. In a separate incident, a 77-year-old retired police captain was shot to death as he tried to shoot, stop looters from ransacking a pawn shop. This is somebody's granddaddy, a bystander screamed at the scene. Some elite have excused this orgy of violence in the spirit of radical chic, calling it an understandable response to the wrongful death of George Floyd. Those excuses are built on a revolting moral equivalence of rioters and looters to peaceful law-abiding protesters. A majority who seek to protest peacefully shouldn't be confused with bands of miscreants. But the rioting has nothing to do with George Floyd, whose bereaved relatives have condemned the violence. On the contrary, Nihilist criminals are simply out for loot and the thrill of destruction with cadres of left-wing radicals like Antifa infiltrating protest marches to exploit Floyd's death for their own anarchic purposes. These rioters, if not subdued, not only will destroy the livelihoods of law-abiding citizens, but will also take more innocent lives. Many poor communities that still bear scars from past upheavals will be set back still further. One thing above all else will restore order to our streets, an overwhelming show of force to disperse, detain, and ultimately deter lawbreakers. But local law enforcement in some cities desperately needs backup, while delusional politicians in other cities refuse to do what is necessary to uphold the rule of law. The pace of looting and disorder may fluctuate from night to night, but it's past time to support local law enforcement with federal authority. Some governors have mobilized the National Guard, yet others refuse, and in some cases, the rioters still outnumber the police and guard combined. In these circumstances, the Insurrection Act authorizes the president to employ the military or any other means in case of insurrection or obstruction to the laws.
the venerable law, nearly as old as our republic itself, doesn't amount to martial law or the end of democracy, as some excitable critics, ignorant of both the law and our history, have comically suggested. In fact, the federal government has a constitutional duty to the states to protect each of them from domestic violence. Throughout our history, presidents have exercised this authority on dozens of occasions to protect law-abiding citizens from disorder, nor does it violate the Posse Comitatus Act, which constrains the military's role in law enforcement, but expressly accepts statutes such as the Insurrection Act. And then he goes on to give historic examples, going all the way to 1992 with the Rodney King, and then he points out that 58% of registered voters agree. And this has caused a meltdown at the New York Times. Tom Cotton writing an op-ed in the New York Times has caused a complete meltdown at the New York Times, so much so that Mark Tracy, a staff reporter at the New York Times, has written a New York Times news story about the New York Times reporters upset about Tom Cotton. Headline, Senator sending the troops op-ed in the Times draws online ire. Staff members at the newspaper, including a Pulitzer winner, denounced an opinion essay by Tom Cotton, Republican of Arkansas, calling for military uh, response to protests. It's just silly. And some of them are saying this will cost uh, this will cost black writers at the New York Times their lives or some such. Uh, here, here's you know uh, what's her name who came up with the 1619 project. I pr- I'll probably get in trouble for this, but to not say something would be immoral. As a black woman, as a journalist, as an American, I feel deeply ashamed we ran this. Another writer, Roxanne Gay, an opinion contributor, says that. The op-ed was inflammatory and endorsing military occupation as if the Constitution doesn't exist. Another said, I I disagree with every word of the Tom Cotton op-ed and it does not reflect my values. Another says it poured gasoline on the fire. One said running this op-ed puts black New York Times staff in danger. Really, it, it puts his words... In the New York Times, put people in danger. Let, let me let me back this up for you. The New York Times has run op-eds by Vladimir Putin. The New York Times has run op-eds by the Taliban criticizing the Americans. The New York Times has run op-eds by the Iranians criticizing Americans. Shortly after Venezuela's president massacred, peace, massacred peaceful protesters in Venezuela, they allowed the Venezuelan regime to run an op-ed blaming Americans. But a sitting United States senator who actually shapes public policy in the United States, having his op-ed apparently puts people in danger by suggesting that the military be used to quell the rioting. Y'all, I'm telling you, the left is going to overplay their hand on this. If you are melting down about an op-ed by a conservative sitting United States senator in the New York Times, and all he does is say, use the military to shut down the riots and the lawbreakers, you have lost your mind. And this, this I, I, I'm, I'm going to save this until 10 o'clock, this, this cultural revolution moment that we seem to be in with the left. But it, all of this is, is nonsensical. The, the level of outrage, what you essentially have is, and it's, it's of a certain segment of, of 20 and 30-something writers of the New York Times who believe it's theirs. You know, this, by the way, this gets to Facebook. There, there's a Facebook tie-in here. 
what you see, the, the left's agitation against Facebook is a response by an ideological movement who believes that one of their own institutions has been captured by the other side. So you've got a bunch of, of young progressives at Facebook who are really mad that the man who invented Facebook and owns the company is daring to allow the president of the United States to use his platform. And they want the president of the United States, the leader of the free world, the most powerful person on the planet, censored on Facebook because they don't like him. Orange man bad, and we can't help him. And how dare we let him use our platform? And by the way, he may use our platform to get reelected. How dare we can't let this happen? And they're upset that Mark Zuckerberg is allowing it to happen because they believe they purism in the cause. They themselves believe that their own company has been captured by the right and they are rebelling from within. And that's what's happening at the New York Times here. That they they are okay with a murderous murderous monster like Vladimir Putin running an op-ed blaming America. They are okay with a murderous terrorist regime in Iran running an op-ed. They are okay with a murderous terrorist regime, the Taliban from Afghanistan, that kills American soldiers on a daily basis running an op-ed. They are okay with the left-wing leaders of Venezuela murdering protesters and then running an op-ed. But they don't want a sitting U.S. senator who's a conservative running an op-ed who disagrees with them because it's their publication. It's theirs. And you get no say. Theirs. Um, the New York Times, to their credit, ran this. Uh, and, and here's the thing is you'll see far less of this. Let's just be honest. What's going to happen is you're going to see far less conservative voices like this in the New York Times because the New York Times will grovel before their, their in-house protesters in the way police and, and local leaders in some cities have groveled before the Black Lives Matters protesters and the Antifa protesters out there right now rioting and burning down businesses. They will. This, this will be effective within the New York Times. And that's what it's all about. That's what the agitators at Facebook are trying to do. They're trying to browbeat Mark Zuckerberg so he cries uncle. These people are trying to browbeat the New York Times publisher and editors so they cry uncle. You know, it used to be you worked for a company and you shut up. If you didn't like their policies, you wouldn't work somewhere else. But these people, I mean, talk about privilege. The height of white privilege, by the way, is working at the New York Times regardless of your race. And it is their white privilege, all of them, that allows them to stand up and blast the New York Times from within. You know, they don't have to work there, but they want to work there. It's not just that they don't want to work there. They want to work there, but they want it to be theirs. They want it to be reliably liberal. You know, some of these same people got mad at the New York Times editors for hiring conservatives. They got mad at them for hiring Brett Stevens, who isn't really even a conservative. They've gotten mad at them for hiring a number of voices at the New York Times who dared to be not leftist. They're not even conservative per se. They're just not leftist. Ross Douthat is about the only one there who is reliably conservative. And Ross Douthat, by the way, doesn't like the president. So, of course, they're okay with that. Could you imagine the New York Times giving me an op-ed? They would actually probably burn the building down. 
thinking they're saving it from itself. These are reliably leftist people who believe they should be able to control their. Can you, you by the way, well, this is this is the, a level of pretension you see. Yesterday, I went through the, the whole white white supremacy in your organization stuff that some of these academics claim. And one of the things is uh, when the leadership of the company makes decisions for the company, instead of letting the group decide that's a that is a sign of white supremacy. When the leadership of the company decides that it owns the company and it should be allowed to make the decisions for the company, somehow or another, that is white supremacy. It's not white supremacy. It's effective business skills. What's going on here, what we're finding more and more is that these people, they're not really interested in it. They're hiding behind. Essentially, they're taking advantage of historic racism in this country. Notice I didn't say systematic, but historic racism in this country. They're taking advantage of this country's flaws and, and they're using those to advance an agenda that's unrelated to those things. They're taking advantage of George Floyd's death to advance a censorous regime in this country that silences dissent. The the other is bad. And, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to essentially, you, you know, it, 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 it's religious. It's They're rooting out the heretics in the system. Noel Rothman, uh, who writes at Commentaries on MSNBC on occasion on Morning Joe, has written written a book on the, the social justice warriors and what they're doing. This is a this is a left wing religion that believes in predestination and that you being born of a certain skin color are predestined to a certain path. And the way we fix this is we realign the systems and institutions in this country. And inevitably, the way we realign the systems and institutions in this country is we go full commie. You got to go towards the communists, uh, capitalism bad because capitalism is Western and Western is racist. You got to go Eastern. You, you got to go Mother Russia. You got to go China. You got to go communist and, and equalize everyone. Again, th- this thing, th- this white supremacy culture, one of the things is, is perfectionism is considered an, a, call, a call sign of white supremacy. Little appreciation expressed among people for the work that others are doing. And more common to point out how someone made a mistake. A tendency to identify what's wrong and limit the ability to appreciate what's right. Daring to require people to put things in writing and be held accountable to what they've put in writing. That's white supremacy, according to you. No, it's an effective way to make a business profitable. But in the cultural revolutionary warriors, they don't like this idea. They've got to upend it. And so having a U.S. senator like Tom Cotton appear in the New York Times and say something that 58% of Americans agree with. By the way, that that key point here, 58% of Americans support Tom Cotton's position in the latest polling. 58% of Americans want the military used to stop the looters and rioters. And yet you have the New York Times reporters in rebellion against an opinion of 58% of this country because 58% of this country understand what's going on here. And these people of the New York Times, they're advancing a different agenda. They're advancing an agenda of the left, of progressivism. I mean, a quasi-communist, if not full-on communist agenda. 
to upend the United States, the structures of the United States. That's why they've got to convince you everything in the United States is systematically racist, because if everything is systematically racist, then you can get rid of it and start something new. And you know what their newness looks like. Well, read Mein Kampf or Das Kapital or one of the, the fascist or communist dictatorial authoritarian books out there, and you'll see what they actually want. For all of the people who say Donald Trump is an authoritarian, they're the ones trying to drive out people who disagree with them. For all of the people who say Donald Trump is a Nazi, they're the ones trying to silence dissent. For all of the people who say Donald Trump is a totalitarian, they're the ones trying to shut down churches and force nuns to perform abortions or at least pay for them. Who are the real authoritarians out there? It's not the people in the White House. I have good news. An asteroid taller than the Empire State Building is rocketing towards the Earth at 11,200 miles per hour. Maybe this really is the series finale. I, I, I had a buddy of mine text me last night, and, and he said, man, this just this this feels just like uh, this is this is crazy. I, I, 2020 is more intense than 2016. And I said, it, it's not a season finale. It's a series finale. This this is the end. Well, there is some bad news here. It's not expected to hit, I'm afraid. Um, Looks like we will actually have to suffer through 2020. (laughs) Uh, This asteroid, it's estimated to be between 820 feet and 1,870 feet. So it could be, and not necessarily is, but could be taller than the Empire State Building. It is certainly taller than the London Eye, uh, which is only 443 feet tall. That's the big, um, oh, whatchamadiggy, a Ferris wheel in London I have been on. Uh, NASA has classed the asteroid as an A-10 asteroid, which is a space rock following a very wide orbit around the sun. They don't actually think it's going to collide with the Earth, but they do want to keep an eye on it in case it enters the Earth's atmosphere by chance. Just going to monitor it here and, and, and see if it collides with us. And I wouldn't necessarily be upset if it did. Man, y'all, I, I just, there's, see, this is, this is my point. If, if you go to the resurgent this morning, resurgent.com, the resurgent.com, and you see my morning piece, it's kind of my point to the president is just stay focused. Nothing really matters except the economy. All this other stuff, it's just a distraction. And it is designed to distract the president. The media knows now that they can force the president to, to go off in every single direction imaginable. And all the president needs to do is focus in one direction, the economy. Keep people safe. Get them back to work. Keep people safe. Get them back to work. And if he does that, he wins but right now he's going in every direction. He's after the Democrats. He's after General Mattis. He, he's after uh, the New York Times. He's after certain Republicans. He's after the mayors. He's after Secretary Esper. He, he's after all of this stuff. He's after the Chinese. He's after the Russians. He, he's after the media. He, he's after all of these people. He just needs to focus. And this is a president I realize you, you, cannot, you cannot treat an old dog, teach an old dog new tricks. But you got to focus. You got to focus and it's outside of his character to focus. Maybe, maybe somebody needs to, to get him some Adderall or some Ritalin or something. And, and just say, Mr. President, eye on the prize. Focus right here, Mr. President, focus right here.
Just just stay on this, Mr. President. Keep people safe. Get them back to work. Because all of the bowling y'all, the, the Fox News poll, the Reuters poll, the CNN poll, um, the, the, the AP poll, the USA Today poll, the Wall Street Journal poll, the ABC poll, the Washington Post poll, I guess Washington Post, ABC, uh, NBC, Wall Street Journal poll, all of them say the number one issue, the number one issue is the economy. People are worried about their jobs. People are worried about when they can go back to work. They're not worried about Andrew McCabe. They're not worried about FISA. They're not worried about Rod Rosenstein. They're not really even worried so much about the the protests. They're worried about having a business to go back to. But then again, that gets back to keeping them safe and getting them back to work. They're not worried about any of this other stuff. They're worried about going back to work. They're worried about their job. They're worried about their 401k. They're worried about their retirement. They're worried about whether kids will be able to go back to school in the fall so they can go back to work. Keep people safe. Send them back to work. The president does that, he wins re-election. If he can't focus, they're going to keep him off balance and his message is going to be muddied and no one's going to know what he really stands for in re-election. He's got to tell people not what he's done for them, what he's going to do for them. And what he's going to do for them is he's going to keep them safe and get them back to work. And if he can make that his message, he's going to win in November. November's still a long time away. He's got time to focus on this stuff. When we come back, the cultural revolutionaries at work. I'm here. I'm here. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425, although uh, my call screener has to step out for a, a, a short time. That allows me time... To make a few points here, some of you will probably not like me to make. Uh, Drew Brees has come out and apologized. You know, Drew Brees said he couldn't actually, um, he, he really wasn't a fan of the whole idea of people taking a knee to the flag. Well, Drew Brees has taken to Instagram and issued his apology. Let me go over to, you know, you should follow me on Instagram at EW Erickson. You can follow me everywhere at EW Erickson. But but here here we go. It's a picture of a of a, a white arm and a white a white arm and a black arm with hands and they're clasped together. And he writes this I would like to apologize to my friends, teammates, the city of New Orleans, the black community, NFL community, and anyone I hurt with my comments yesterday. In speaking with some of you, it breaks my heart to know the pain I have caused. In an attempt to talk about respect, unity, and solidarity centered around the American flag and the national anthem, I made comments that were insensitive and completely missed the mark on the issue we are facing right now as a country. They lacked awareness and any type of compassion or empathy. Instead, those words have become divisive and hurtful and have misled people into believing that somehow I am an enemy. This could not be further from the truth and is not an accurate reflection of my heart or my character. Here's where I stand. I stand with the black community in the fight against systemic racial injustice and police brutality and support the creation of real policy change that will make a difference. I condemn the years of oppression that have taken place throughout our black communities and still exist today. I acknowledge that we as Americans, including myself, have not done enough to fight for that equality or to truly understand the struggles and plight of the black community. I recognize that I am part of the solution and can be a leader for the black community in this movement. I will never know what it's like to be a black man or raise black children in America, but I work every day to put myself in those shoes and fight for what is right. I have always been an ally, never an enemy. 
I am sick about the way my comments were perceived yesterday, but I take full responsibility and accountability. I recognize that I should do less talking and more listening. And when the black community is talking about their pain, we all need to listen for that. I am very sorry, and I ask for your forgiveness. Well, there you have it. Uh, and all he did was essentially say he, he, he can't take a knee. Um, he can't, he, he's, he, he will not take a knee to the flag and he doesn't understand people who are trying to take a knee to the flag. He just, he doesn't get it. And now suddenly he is, he's the bad guy. Drew Brees is now the bad guy for daring to say that, except now he's coming out and apologizing, man, uh, the, the cultural betters out there are, are, they're out to get him. Um, here's the thing. Have you noticed? Um, have you noticed that the solution on the left is always the same? Have you noticed that whether it's climate change or systemic racism or LGBTQ issues or economic inequality or foreign policy. It is always, always the same issue. It is always the same solution. That solution is always about redistribution, upending capitalism and reordering society in a Marxist direction. That it always in the same direction, the same thing happens. Uh, you, you, capitalism is bad. White Western powers racist. Does somebody have a solution for systemic racism? Can you actually define what it is? Listen, I, I am on record saying that it is a fact that white Americans in this country can live their lives in differently ordered than in the black community, where in the black community, they have to have the talk with their kids, and it's not about having sex. It's about staying alive and not getting shot by the police. And that is a fact. It is a fact that that is the reality. It is a fact that black Americans tend to have different outcomes in society, in healthcare, in law, than white Americans. It is a fact. You cannot deny it. But also, can can someone give me what the solution is? What is the solution? Uh, a governmental solution. What, what, what must the government do? I can tell you some people say reparations. You know what's going to happen? You, you do reparations. You tax all of white America and, and uh, black and Hispanic and Asian Americans who can't prove their ancestry back to slavery. And you give it to those Americans whose, whose ancestors had been enslaved to make up for the historic wrong. You know what's going to happen. Uh, white liberals are going to be the ones to say, well, we, we, we gave them money. Problem solved. What is the solution to your systemic racism? Is it redistribution? 
Is it affirmative action that breeds further resentment from other communities? Like, I mean, it, we, we gotta we gotta shut down those Asian kids because they typically have two parent households and they're wicked smart. We gotta we gotta shut them down and give advantages to the people who aren't as smart. I mean, that's what happens in, in at Harvard. What 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 is your what is your policy to end systemic racism? Oh, hush, Siri. Well, I, I'm see. This is the problem here. You would have me believe with regarding systemic racism. You would have me believe that the government that propped up slavery and Jim Crow and anti-interracial marriage laws and affirmative action and trained the police who are gunning down black men and women and children, that that government is the government that's going to provide you the solution. You would have me believe that the cure to what ails us is to elect a man who for 40 years was in government writing the laws that threw a lot of black men in jail and that somehow Joe Biden will make it all better. You would you would have me believe that that's 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 the solution. You would have me believe that that taking from those who have and giving to those who have not is the solution. No, that's communism. See, what's going on here is a cultural revolution. And you, you, you need to watch out for this. This is what's happening. This is what happened to Drew Brees. Drew Brees said something that should not be controversial, that he, he, he thinks it's disrespectful to take a knee to the flag. Now he the cultural revolutionaries have come for him. They're coming for you. They came for the man who said all lives matter. Do all lives not matter? Well, you're not allowed to say that this week. And so he's in trouble because he, he he didn't check his calendar to realize that's something he couldn't say this week. It is it is an effort to censor. It is an effort to silence. It is an effort to intimidate. It is an effort to scare you, to get you away from wrong think. It is like an American version of the Chinese Cultural Revolution. These people don't really care about systemic injustice in this country. Most of the people who are rioting and burning down these buildings, they're a bunch of privileged white kids. They don't care about your systemic racism. They want to bring about a new world order that is premised on Karl Marx and not on uh, the founding fathers and John Locke. It's the same thing with the environmentalist warriors out there. The environmentalist wackos. They want to end capitalism because it's bad. They want to impose communism. They want to redistribute it. It's remarkable to me how the environmentalist agenda and the the fighters against systemic racism want pretty much the same thing in this country. Get rid of capitalism. Redistribute things. uh, Shut the government down. Defund the police. All of these things. It's amazing how all of these left-wing views are aligned. They want more government control over your lives. Government control by the same government that brought you slavery and the police force they hate and they want less individual liberty this goes back i i I keep i and i don't mean to keep coming back to this but it's just so on point it really is remarkable to me that it, it is so on point this this listing of the whole systemic racism nonsense and in white supremacy in businesses what what is white supremacy in business do you know one of the things listed as white supremacy in business, white supremacy culture and business, one of, one of the key things, individualism. Individualism, the desire for individual recognition and credit because it leads to isolation.
Competition is more highly valued than cooperation, and where cooperation is valued, little time or resources devoted to developing skills and how to cooperate. It leads to little or no ability to delegate work to others if it's all about individualism. You know, here's the thing. This is why you can't have a cure to systemic racism if you believe it's a thing because you believe that it requires a government solution. And what government is going to provide you the solution to systemic racism? The government that built the systemic racist society. See, when you actually get down to it, it doesn't really make any sense. What they're calling for really is an upheaval in American society. They're not calling for reform. They're calling for an end and a rebuild. That's the thing with the whole 1619 project with the New York Times. It it rewrites history, badly rewrites history, but it rewrites history on the argument that racism was a problem the moment the white people set foot on this continent. And that's how far back the racism goes. Now, what is the solution then? Well, you've got to upend society as you know it. See, the, the, the Constitution is illegitimate because the Constitution was built on that systemic racism. So we need to get rid of the Constitution. And if we can get rid of the Constitution, we can get rid of our ordering of society, our checks and balances on society, our federal system where you and I live and let live and know we're going to now allow our cultural betters to take over. I mean, y'all, just just consider this. Ponder this point for a moment. How many of you yesterday or on Tuesday when people were putting their black squares on Instagram, how many of you got emails from businesses around the country We hear you. We're committed to stamping out systemic racism. We're with you. We need to shut up and listen. We we must change as a society. Racism is bad. And we must work hard to change. How many of you got that sort of email? How many of you got it from your company that you work for? How many of you got it from the companies you do business with? DoorDash sent one out. I believe I saw Uber sent one out. Apple, the Apple Music, went to Apple Music on Tuesday. It was blacked out. We, we need to listen today. This is a problem in our country. My point is not to mock them. My point is to say this. If every major corporation in this country agrees that systemic racism is bad, and it must be fixed, and everyone on your social media feed agrees it's bad and it must be fixed, and everyone is putting up a black square, how is it still a problem? If the major cultural forces in this country say, we don't support this, how is it a problem? And what are you going to do if if it is a problem? If you've got every major corporation in this country and all of your social media followers and every major political party and every major voice and every influencer, and they're all out there saying, this is a problem, this is wrong. And everyone agrees it's wrong. And yet it still exists. Does it exist? And if it does exist, if it does really exist, 
how are you going to fix the problem when all the cultural warriors out there and cultural movement and the Fortune 500, they already agree it's a problem and it must be stopped and, and they're not actually doing it. What, 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 what comes next? What's the path forward? My point here is that it's not going to be the Fortune 500 and it's not going to be the social media black squares and the influencers and it's not going to be the politicians and it's not going to be the government that brought you slavery and Jim Crow and the police force fixing this. It's going to be you. It's going to be you. What's so interesting is in the polling, a majority of Americans believe systemic racism isn't a problem in their community, but is in the nation. Because they know their community the best. And they're engaged the most. You're not actually going to have a problem fixed by the federal government. You're going to fix it yourself in your behavior, in your community. And the left can't abide by that. These cultural warriors marching in the streets and smashing up businesses, they can't abide by that because that then fosters more individualism. And they're not actually out to solve this problem. They're out to upend and reorder the United States as a whole. And so they don't want you to take matters into your own hands and commit to working locally because they want to upend all of that. But you going out individually solving the problem, you actually solve the problem. It's all of these cultural revolutionary agitators who are going to be upended. If you actually go out and engage in your community and and work to improve your community, they're not going to have a leg to stand on these people. And that's actually a good thing. You you don't want the cultural revolutionaries to win this. I just, I I continue to believe that the president has an in here uh, in in all those cultural warrior stuff uh, and and the, the systemic inequality because he's running. He's been president for four years had no elected office before this. And he's running against a man who was in government for 40 years and served as vice president to the first black president for eight years and did nothing, arguably made it worse. The the issues that so many people are are out in the streets marching about, uh, police brutality and in racism and inequality and all these things, Joe Biden made it worse with his policies. The president's got an in here with these people if he will just commit to focusing on it. And again, like I said in the first hour, his message needs to be, I'll keep you safe and get you back to work. If he's going to keep us safe and get us back to work, that's it. That's the message. And it applies to the black community. It applies to the white community, the Hispanic community, the Asian community, the Southeast Asian community, the Indian community, uh, you name it. You, you pick the, it even applies to the Canadians who are in this country. I'll keep you safe and I'll get you back to work. He's got an opportunity. If he will just stay focused on a message, he's got an opportunity. You, you know, by the way, have you noticed this is we're, we're technically now in Pride Month, uh, another milestone for the cultural revolutionaries out there. And, and yet they're marching in the streets uh, uh, when all this other stuff and, and folks are canceling their pride parades. Cities are canceling their, their pride parades this year. This is always one of the most in, in, insufferable months, frankly, as a as an evangelical conservative. Um to, to yet again, it's another marker for cultural communities out there on the left that control society to try to um, push kids and, and push Christians and evangelicals uh, in, in positions that conflict with their faith. And, and you're bad if you're a Christian and you believe. And, and this year it's all on pause. It'll be back. I'm, I'm sure because, you know, it, it resurfaces in October every year. I've never understood why we got two of these. Uh, but we do, and I'm sure it'll come back with gusto in October and then again 
in June of next year. It's just it's it's a uh, it's not happening right now. Uh, no no pride marches in the streets. We've got the protests and the riots and all this. And you know, here's the thing. I, having these conversations with my kids these days now, um, you, you got to love everybody. You got to treat everybody with respect. Um, but particularly if you're an evangelical Christian, if, if you're a Christian, period, if you believe in the Bible, period, there are some things you, you can't endorse as a person of faith. And the cultural revolutionaries want to drum you out of society because of it. And I got to tell you, uh, I, I have a hard time believing that the cultural revolutionaries will be successful driving Christians out of the town square when Nero used the bodies of Christians as torches to light the streets of Rome and they did nothing but prosper. Frankly, a little persecution of the faith makes the faith stronger. It's one of the most bizarre things you see, frankly, even in China. Uh, Christians are ruthlessly persecuted in China and now there are more practicing Christians in China than in North America. Did you know that? That doesn't get covered a lot, but it's true. Uh, there are more professing Christians in China than in North America now, despite government efforts to stamp them out. Same thing in Iran, a, a ruthless regime trying to stamp out Christianity. It's now the fastest growing religion in Iran. Um, makes you wonder what's going on there. I, I got to tell you, um, it's 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 something to pay attention to as the cultural revolutionaries try to keep you out of church but let you destroy businesses. Pay attention to the irony there. You know, the latest left-wing craze, uh, Brian Fallon, who was a spokesman for Hillary Clinton and others, um, is to ban police, defund the police. That they, they, That's actually Brian Fallon, who was a Hillary Clinton spokesperson, is tweeting that today. Defund the police. This is now one of the causes... Uh, one of the solutions proposed for uh, systemic racism is to defund police forces nationwide. So what, then Donald Trump can actually use the military to keep people safe? Really, you want that? Uh, the, defund the police so more people buy guns. You know, the more guns someone owns, the more likely they are to vote Republican to protect their gun rights. So you defund the police, you're making a bunch of people Republicans who weren't beforehand. These people are going to overplay their hand. These people are going to overplay their hand. Let's go to the phones. 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. Hi, in Athens. You're next. Welcome. Hi, good morning, Eric. I, I hope it's all well. I just had a few comments. Um, you know, as a Christian, you know, as, as a believer, you know, I do believe the proverb uh, when, when it says that the tongue has the power of life and death and you know, I'd say in this situation, it would be perfect to Trump if he could be that voice of calm and reason. And I know a lot of conservatives don't like that. You know, they start screaming, well, he's all about action. He's all about this. And I do understand that. But I think there is a time of, mm-hmm. of, of uh, you know, the speaking, of speaking with clarity, of speaking with calm and reason to you know, obviously he can't calm everybody down. There's always going to be the crazy people, but I do think that he he can have that. He can use this time as to to his advantage to be the the voice of common. You know, honestly, this is the time where I wish Mike Pence was a president because he's <laughs> real good with his words. <laughs> you you are not alone in the man. The number of people I have had this conversation with in the last seventy two hours of man can't Pence just take oh, take over. 
Yeah, look, I agree with you, and and he should try to. And, and frankly, you know, the the he's so caricatured now by the press. And, and I, I know. Let, well, let me give you, Javi. Let me give you a little bit bit of background from people who are in the White House who say it, it, it won't do him any good because he'll get attacked. They'll say he's not being sincere. And I tell them all the time, why are you letting them? define him you don't want them to define him so go out be the voice of reason be the voice of reason and calm them down and say we got to move forward as a country and you know it's the perfect way to say the answer is not to go back to joe biden who was there for 40 years and, and didn't do anything to fix this situation the answer is for us to commit to go forward and keep you safe and get you back to work. And in getting you back to work, rebuilding lives. He, he's, he's got a path forward here if he wants to do it. Uh, you know, he's, he's trying to make this case on Joe Biden. Here, here's the president talking about this. A guy like Sleepy Joe Biden was in there for 43 years. Then he says, I think we should do this. I saw it today. He took his mask off for the first time in a while. I haven't seen his face for a long time. And he said, I think we should do this. Or I think we should do that. And actually, then he started speaking through the mask again. He feels comfortable with the mask on, I think. And even though there was nobody anywhere near him, which is interesting. But well, he made a statement about what he should do. I said, he's been there for 43 years. He was vice president for eight years. He didn't do a thing. His crime bill he, was a disaster. Exactly. Been there for 43 years. His crime bill was a disaster. He's, he's finding a way forward. Finding a way forward. If he can just do it, he's just got to stay on message. And, and this, you know, this is... is if I had a, a singular, there are lots of frustrations I have with the president. If you're a regular listener, you know this. If I had one, number one, it's his inability to stay on a common message. And the Democrats are now using that against him. They've got him discombobulated going all over the place. And he's got an opportunity now to shine. He's got an opportunity now to be focused on a common message. I'll keep you safe and I'll get you back to work. Uh, Tom in Gainesville, you're going to be next. Welcome. Thank you. Sure. What's going on? Hey. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me turn off the radio. The <laughs> delay was going on. <laughs> yep. It'll throw um, the delay throws okay. you off every time. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not that smart to begin with. Before <laughs> I before I congratulate you on your soliloquy in your presentation a few minutes ago, I'd like to say something that I you know, came up with a few years ago, uh, having worked in um, near, um, what's that, the, what's the mall in the middle of, off Ralph, West End Mall, having worked there for a couple of years, this really hit me hard. We're all the same. Mm -hmm. Some of us are just born with much better tans. Now, having said that, I'd like to ask you, how you would process the following statistic in your wonderful comments that you just made, which is, and this was put in on some, I don't know, it was in the, it was on the internet and it was by in an article by uh, an African-American commenter. And it was out of a hundred thousand arrested people. 
four out of those 100,000 were killed. Four, four white people out of the 100,000 white people arrested were killed. And three out of the 100,000 black people were killed. So I'm trying to process how all that fits into all of this and your remarks and, and the perception out there. Well, it, you know, it's funny you say that because I, I hadn't gotten to, and this is probably the perfect time to get to Andy McCarthy's thing. I don't know if you've seen it at, at National Review today. They've, they've, it's not behind the firewall. Uh, so Andy McCarthy writing at National Review, let me read you this. About twice as many white people as black people are killed by police. In fact, at about 75% of police shootings, the decedent is not black. Of course, that is not what you would gas, grasp from consuming media. Take the website uh, statista.com, specifically its breathless focus on hate crime in America, counterfactually insinuating that any shooting involving a black victim must be a hate crime. Here's their big headline from Tuesday. Black Americans 2.5 times more likely than whites to be killed by police. It is fiction. It is sheer demagoguery peddled as American cities are besieged by rioters in the wake of George Floyd's killing by the Minneapolis police. The falsity of the claim is demonstrated even by Statista.com itself. Just three days ago, the site posted another series of bar graphs showing that, in fact, whites are nearly twice as likely as blacks to be shot to death by police. The rest of the bar graphs break out the number of Hispanic decedents, slightly lower than black, slightly lower than white, as well as those whose white hair, whose heritage is described as other or unknown. Right underneath its chart, uh, Statista.com writes, sadly, the trend of fatal police shootings in the United States seems only to be increasing. In fact, of po- in point of fact, it is steady. And if I wanted to play games like Statista.com does by, say, weighting the numbers to account for population growth while ignoring all other relevant factors, I could even pretend the number was decreasing. The Washington Post acknowledges that fatal shootings by police have run steady at around 1,000 per year since 2015. There were 995 in 2015, 963 in 2016, 987 in 2017, 998 in 2018, and 1,004 in 2019. As Heather McDonald relates in the insightful Wall Street Journal op-ed that she published, blacks must make up only a quarter of the total number of people killed in police shootings annually, a ratio that has held steady since 2015. The reigning canard, however, is that this 25% figure proves racism since African Americans make up just 13% of the U.S. population. Ridiculous as the syllogism is, as we'll see, it conveniently elides more consequential factors, it still puts the lie to the slanderous narrative that police are hunting down black men. Even if we ignore the fact that an increasing number of police officers, obviously including those involved in encounters with black suspects, are themselves African-Americans, the percentage of black deaths from police shootings would be much higher if blacks were being targeted. Police do not go looking for people to shoot. In shooting situations, police are confronting crime suspects, the majority of whom are armed. But given that George Floyd was unarmed, let's consider unarmed people killed in such encounters. Such unarmed decedents, too, were twice as likely to be white as black in 2019. 19 unarmed whites, 9 unarmed blacks. As Ms. McDonald observes, this ratio is not stable. In 2015, it was 38 unarmed blacks to 32 unarmed whites. The Floyd killing has been injected into the narrative of innocent unarmed black men murdered by cops. But the number of unarmed black men killed by police is vanishingly small. As McDonald notes, there were 7,407 black homicide victims in the United States in 2018, the last year of which fatal final numbers are available. 
Assuming a comparable number in 2019, the nine unarmed men killed in police shootings would represent just 0.1% of black homicides. In contrast, she asserts, a police officer is 18 and a half times more likely to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black male is to be killed by a police officer. Now, I want to stop you there because he raises really good points here. Also, it goes into the crime statistics. He raises really good points here. But there's something else missing that he doesn't get into. That if you if you have black friends and you talk to them, you'll hear these stories. It's not getting shot per se. It's getting pulled over. It's getting stopped. It's getting questioned. And that is something that we need to figure out as a society. Now, I think that he would counter, Andrew McCarthy would counter. He writes, while African-Americans are involved in two times more police shootings than their percentage of the population would seem to warrant, they commit 53% of murders and 60% of robberies, well over four times their percentage of the population. The political establishment would have you assume this statistical disparity is caused by institutional racism that myopically beams police attention onto black people. But we know the statistics accurately reflect reality because crimes get reported by victims, a large percentage of whom are black, also outstripping their share of the overall population. More black people commit crimes on, on black people being the victims of those crimes. That, that's what McCarthy would say. But there is a problem I think we, we have to figure out, and, and I don't know that anyone knows the solution, and defunding the police isn't a solution, and that is you, you talk to um, black families in this country, and they routinely have way more encounters with the police when they are innocent. Uh, Leonce Crump, for example, in Atlanta, who's a great reform pastor there, talks about the time he was pulled over in the car with his wife driving through Texas. And the police just wanted to make sure his wife was okay and actually wanted to be in the car with him. They were married. There weren't any outstanding reports of any white woman being kidnapped by a black man. They just pulled him over. This happens all the time. I've got a friend of mine who is, he's listening right now. And he drove an old beat up truck with an Our Lady of Guadalupe sticker on the back of it. And he was way more often pulled over in that truck than in his nice car. And he has a Hispanic last name, even though he looks like an Irishman, and can chronicle the times the police looked absolutely amazed when they would pull him over. You can get into the statistics, and Andrew, Andy McCarthy makes really good points here, and they're points that can't be dismissed. But you also get into the lives of black and Hispanic Americans, and they'll tell you these stories with frequency, that they are pulled over more by the police. They are stopped and questioned more by the police. The The, the police, I mean, again, I, the, this friend of mine with a Hispanic last name who looks like an Irishman, red hair, well, he used to have red hair. He's bald now. <laughs> if he let it grow, he'd have some. He'd drive around his little beat-up truck with his, his Lady of Guadalupe sticker on the back of it, and he's going to get pulled over by the police. And inevitably, they will look shocked when they find that this, this white Irish-looking dude in the front seat. There's a problem there. There is a problem there. We don't need to overstate the problem. 
and a lot of people want to overstate the problem. But the tendency some, from some people on the right is to understate the problem. And we shouldn't understate the problem any more than we should overstate the problem. There's a problem there. But again, bottom line is the government is not going to provide you the solution to this problem. You are going to provide the solution to this problem. And it is going to be a long time in getting to that ultimate solution. But upending American society, upending capitalism, upending our values. I mean, frankly, you need more Jesus who advocated a colorblind society and not eradicating religion in this country, which is the left solution. Get rid of the get rid of God and worship the state. You know what? That's the state that brought you slavery and Jim Crow. Jesus is the one who said there's neither slave nor free nor Jew nor Greek nor male nor female, but apparently we're not allowed to have him in our schools or anywhere else. Hello there. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program, is 877-973-7425. 877-973-7425. If you text the word Eric, E-R-I-C-K, that is my name, E-R-I-C-K. If you text that to the number 33777, you're going to get a link texted back to you. And it is uh, who I would recommend you vote for in key races around the state uh, and not every race. One of those is Matt Gertler. He's up in the 9th Congressional District. Uh, yeah, there are actually some some good people up there. The I didn't realize the uh, Clyde's Armory guy was running. He's got a, a heck of a commercial featuring Doug Collins. You know, it's very interesting. And this should be a warning sign for Kelly Loeffler, by the way. Doug Collins... Uh, features repeatedly in campaign ads from from different people running for office, Republicans running for office. Doug Collins features in their ads. Uh, the Clyde Armory guy has a great ad out. I need to see if I can find it. I'll play it for you um, about his fight with the IRS over over gun sales. Uh, but you got him in the race. You got Paul Brown in the race. Paul Brown in the race. You've got Matt Gertler though, and I'm I'm back in Matt Gertler, and I'll tell you why. And and by the way, the Speaker of the House and outside groups related to the Speaker and Kevin Tanner are out to destroy Matt Gertler. Uh, which is one reason I'm supporting Gertler. Don't vote for Kevin Tanner, please. Um, he is an ally of Speaker Ralston's, and it would be a bad thing uh, to have a guy who won't stand up to that level of corruption go up to Washington D.C. To be quite frank with you. Um, Matt is young. He's younger than me, which I, I hate. I've now gotten to the age where so many of the, these people are younger than me, but he is, and he's great. Uh, Paul Brown is, is great. Uh, Paul Brown is a friend. Uh, and the reason I, I pick Matt over Paul is just really age youth, uh, and, and his, his willingness in the state legislature to stand up to David Ralston his willingness in the state legislature to vote no against the budget even. And that, by the way, that's why Matt Gertler is getting beat up now. Uh, the speaker and, and Kevin Tanner and these outside groups are beating him up saying he voted against the National Guard. No, he voted against a budget that raised taxes. He voted against a budget that that misspent your dollars, and he was willing to stand up and say, no, I'm going to vote against it. You know, this is one of the crazy things about politics these days, quite frankly, is nonstop, constantly, we hear people say we need outsiders. We need people to stand up to their own side. By God, we need men of principle. So here comes a man who's willing to stand up to his own side, who's an outsider, who is is willing to be a man of principle and stand up and vote no on popular things because those popular things are tied to deeply unpopular things. 
So, they, oh, we can't have this guy. He he voted he voted against the budget and the budget funded the National Guard. Oh, we can't have Matt Gertler. No, he's he's bad. But you wanted a man of principle. If you want a man of principle, vote for the man of principle. If you want the man who just 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 sells out to the lobbyists, well, don't vote for him. If you want the guy who is is in bed with corruption and won't stand up to corruption and, and keeps his mouth shut and, and goes with the flow and doesn't stand up to his own side and say this is wrong, well, Matt Gertler's not your guy then. Go with Kevin Tanner. Gertler stands up to his own side. Gertler does not go with the flow. He's not part of the herd. He's not a yes man for leadership. He's his own man. And he takes principled positions. And you may not always, I don't always agree with him. But I would much rather have a politician who I don't always agree with, but who I know is there with principles he cares about. And those principles are committed to limited government and, and small government and getting government out of your way. I would much rather have that. And I think that we need to reward guys like Gertler who go to the state legislature and are surrounded by lobbyists and are routinely assailed because they won't bow to the speaker who is a corrupting force in the legislature who is siding with progressives to advance left-wing hate crimes legislation. It's the same reason with, with Kevin Cook in the 14th. Um, I, I, Marjorie Green is, is great. Um, and she would make a fine congresswoman and I think she's going to get into a runoff in the 14th. Uh, but if I had to pick, I would go with Kevin Cook in the 14th because I know what he's made of because he's been in the state legislature and he has a track record. He's got a voting record. And of all the people in the 14th district, he's got a voting record that is the most conservative. He has stood up to the speaker. You know, he put his name on the resolution calling for the ouster of David Ralston. He stood up to the corruption. And now the speaker's coming for him. The speaker's trying to, to, to beat him just like he's trying to beat Gertler because Kevin Cook took a firm position against corruption in the state legislature, and now he is the bad guy. And I personally think if you want to clean up the system, you've got to be willing to stand up for the guys who fought to clean up the system and, and stand up to the negative ads and go with a guy like Kevin Cook because he's got a track record that is conservative. He's got a track record of standing up to corruption. He's got a track record of standing up to the bullies, of not bowing down to them. So yeah, go with Kevin Cook there and Matt Gertler in the ninth. Hello, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The third hour of the program. Glad to have you with me. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, I I was negligent. I should have reached out to Chris Burns and asked him to to come hang out with me today, uh, because he had a brilliant thread on Twitter, and and there is news you can use. Uh, for example, consider this: it is right now, right now, it is uh, June fourth, and it is eleven oh seven a.m. For those of you listening to the show in delay, that's where we are. June fourth, eleven oh seven a.m. in the year two thousand twenty, and the S and P five hundred is at uh, three thousand one hundred twenty-two. It is up point zero two points right now. Uh, the Dow is up to twenty-six thousand three hundred forty-six. Uh, to put this in a broader perspective for you. The S&P 500 is now where it was 
in December. That's right. The S&P 500 is back to where it was in December. The S&P 500 right now is at 3,122 points. On December 5th of 2019, it was 3,117 points. So it's a few points higher than it was on December 5th of last year. What the heck is going on? Well, Chris Burns pointed out the, the markets, they're not, they're not concerned with the riots and they're not concerned with global instability right now. They're concerned about uh, people getting back to business. And, you know, PPP, there are still PPP out there uh, and people aren't claiming it. Now, he did note that part of this is just some businesses don't know they qualify for it. You know, by the way, if you're interested, uh, l- l- let me put in a plug here for a great sponsor of ours, uh, First Liberty Building and Loan. If your business is interested in PPP and you don't know if you qualify for it, you may want it and not you're not sure you qualify for it. Uh, my buddy Chip Roy from Texas is in Congress and was able to usher through a piece of legislation to expand PPP and reform it and make it easier for you uh, with the paperwork requirements and all. Uh, The president's going to sign it into law. It was a big win for Chip Roy. A Republican in the House was able to get this through the uh, Democratic-controlled House. They passed it with one negative vote against it. And the Senate has passed it as well. Huge win for him. But a call First Liberty Building. If you are at all curious about PPP, Go to FirstLibertyGA.com and reach out to them. If you are a sole proprietor, a small business, a mid-sized business, go to FirstLibertyGA.com and and talk to them and see if you can get access to the PPP program. Their number's on the website. You can apply for it online or you can call them. Their number's on the website. The website is FirstLibertyGA.com. And call First Liberty Building and Loan. Ask if they can help. Ask what the requirements are. You may qualify for PPP and you don't even know it. So check them out. Now, I, here's here's the thing. Um, so Chris Burns, uh, who is my, he really is my financial. I, I, you know, I always feel like I got to say that. He really is my financial. Because you know how some people, they'll advertise. I, I try not to advertise for anyone or anything unless I actually do know them or have used them. Like, for example, First Liberty Building and Loan. Um, I actually do know them. I know the Frost family. I, I know their reputation. I, I know what they can do for you. That's why I send people to them. Uh, or, or Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce. We actually use Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce in our house. Uh, it is local. It, it is made from right here in Georgia. And if you want it, you should go to the grocery store, get it in, in Publix. If you go down the, the, the aisle with the baking goods and the ketchup and stuff, go all the way down to that aisle, uh, towards the meat section. And you look on the right-hand side, if you're facing the meat, you will find a pile of Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce. It is in stock in Publix. I had to go get some the other day. Why? Because I actually use it in my house. And Chris Burns actually is my financial advisor. Uh, and it's it's nice to build relationships with people and businesses that I personally use who now advertise on this program. And Chris is one of them. And he is a, a very dear friend of my family's and he gives great financial advice. And he had this thread on Twitter yesterday talking about all this stuff that COVID-19 is going to have a bigger impact on the economy than the riots and the protests and the looting. Now, why? Because if you've had the riots and the protests and the looting, and 14 days from now, there's not a massive spike in cases, then that is going to encourage people to get out of the house. 
if you have all of the rioting and all of the looting and all of the damage and all of the virus and people aren't actually getting sick from the virus or they're getting minor illnesses, then people are going to say, hey, it really isn't that bad. We can all go out and life can go back to normal. And the markets are going to rebound even further and quicker. And people are going to go back to work quicker. And the economy is going to rebound quicker. And that's going to help the president. And markets love stability. But if there's a huge viral spread in the next couple of weeks, in 14 days, people are going to say, oh, it really is bad. Hospitals are going to get overwhelmed again. I can't go back. And it's going to hurt the economy. Here's Nancy Pelosi talking about this stuff. Yes, I am. I am indeed concerned about that uh, because it is true uh, that wearing a mask and social distancing are very important to stopping the spread. Uh, it is, uh, uh, it's, it's frightening actually. That's why we're hoping that very soon uh, we can have the Senate take up the HEROES bill, which very much addresses the disparity uh, in the uh, uh, the deaths resulting from the coronavirus among people of color and that again uh, people the social distancing has a purpose and the masking has a the, having wearing masks has a purpose and when people ignore that uh, if we can bring terrible things home to our children or to our our seniors who may be living with us being one myself but it is um, um, it, it, it's it's very dangerous, uh, but again, uh, people are always optimistic and hopeful that not and invincible that something's not going to happen to them. But I am very very concerned. In a couple of weeks, we'll see. Sadly, hopefully not, but sadly that of course there would be an increased number. All the more reason for us to pass the legislation. We don't have a, a vaccine right now. We don't even have a a cure that is available to so many people, but we do have what has worked in other countries, testing, tracing, treatment, and social distancing. And that makes a tremendous difference. And as people go out there, I hope that uh, they know that they're taking a risk as well as bringing it home. But there's been some good social distancing among some of the uh, uh, some uh, some of the <laughs> crowds. And on TV, they all look like they're very close together. I think some of them uh, are probably practicing social distancing. Let's let us hope so. <laughs> I think some of them are. I don't know. And listen, you know what's going to happen if the virus does rebound. Nancy Pelosi, the rest are. Oh, we got to shut down again. We got to lock everybody back up. Don't you know you can't get out of the house again. We we can't let the economy rebound now. Not till November. After Trump loses, you can you you know this is going to happen. It's predictable. But that was this gets back to Chris Burns's point. If if in in fourteen days there's not a surge in the virus, then people are going to realize it's safe to come out of their houses, and the economy is going to pick up steam even quicker, and that's going to help the president. But if the virus does run rampant, then people are going to be too scared to come out of their house. You know, you may say it's no big deal and you're ready to go back out. You may be I actually went to a restaurant yesterday myself, uh, but uh, a lot of people are way concerned about it still. Even here in Georgia, there's polling out that shows 40% of the people in the state agree with Brian Kemp reopening the state. And that's actually good news because it had been 24% in April. Uh, and now it's up to 40% now. It's a split 40-40 uh, with 20% undecided. That's good news for Brian Kemp. 
And But still, a majority of Georgians are more concerned with the virus than the economy. And if they see that these protests are happening and the virus isn't spreading, they're going to be less concerned. And that's going to help the economy. And the helping the economy helps the president. Hurting the economy hurts the president. That's why you've got Democrats. And that is why the president's message needs to be that he wants people to get back to work and he wants to keep them safe. Now, let's go back to the phones. Jake Cullen from Macon, you are going to be up next. Welcome. Hi, Eric. This is Jake uh, from Macon. Thank you very much. And also, I just want to make a comment real quick. Great program. And today's uh, program was just fantastic. Thank you. Um, the, I have three points real quick. George Floyd was murdered by the officer, and it's deplorable and egregious. I'm totally I would grab all the officers and throw them in prison for the rest of their life. It was a terrible thing to do. I do have a couple of points. So I've been around a long time. I'm in my 70s, and I grew up in an area up near Cleveland, Ohio. I lived in Chicago. I was around when there were riots and all that kind of thing. But when I grew up, I grew up around um, blacks and and Europeans and you you name it. We had a really a, a mixed community. And I was the minority walking to school, believe it or not. I was the only white and there were black and so forth. And we lived together. We worked together. We, and, we, and it was fantastic. And I thought the world was like that. But unfortunately, it's not. Um, so I'll do all I can, continue to do all I can to make it better. But two things that bother me recently. Macon has had 26 or 27 murders to date this year. It's deplorable. It's absolutely horrible. And there's nothing in outrage said about it. And it's terrible. And it's just almost like, well, blacks are killing blacks, and, but doggone it, blacks lives ma- black lives matter, and all lives matter. What is, what, what, why are we not getting outraged? And the last point, there was an elderly couple in New Jersey, I think in May sometime, they were visiting their son's gravesite in a veteran yes. cemetery, and they, they were gunned down executions on the back of the head by a black man, and the paper, the media covered it as a random shooting, and that was the end of it. And I'm not saying we need to retaliate and march and go do all that stuff, but you, you, you can't have all that violence and all the murders and say, well, the police are racist, and they may be. I mean, I'm not, you know, there's several that I'm sure are. But overall, the police force is needed in order to be safe. I, I don't want my wife walking downtown by herself. She knows that they're murders, and there's blacks that look suspicious. And so automatically you think, well, I, I'm going to I'm going to stay home or I'm going to go with my husband. And I just I'm frustrated with the whole thing. And, and there's no outrage over all the other stuff going on. So, you, you know, having said I, that, Jake, listen, I, I thank you for calling and thanks for the kind words. It is for those of you who haven't heard in Macon, uh, 2324 homicides this year, overwhelmingly black on black violence. It's very much like the the shootings on the south side of Chicago. It just becomes par for the course. Those lives matter too. The shooter and the victim, both, their lives matter. What leads someone to do that? What leads someone to, to pull the gun? What leads someone to be outraged like that to do that? What leads someone to kill an elderly couple execution style at their son's grave? These are problems in our society, and it's amazing how we're essentially what the this goes back to the whole idea of we're having this cultural revolutionary moment with the left. You're not allowed to talk about the two people who were executed at their son's grave. No, no, you can't. This is your time to listen this week. Don't bring that up. Listen.
What about the the murders in me? No, 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 no. By God, where this is about the police this week. It's not about that. When, when is it ever about that? When do we have that conversation? Joe Allen, who is a uh, member of the county commission down in Bibb County, uh, put on his Facebook uh, page that it was time to, to shoot to kill the looters. A sentiment shared by an overwhelming number of Americans. He has been uh, since apologized for his word choice. It has become a scandal in the local media in middle Georgia that he said this. But I continue to look at this and I, I keep wondering why why aren't the police doing more to protect these people's businesses? You haven't let them go to work, but you are letting people go burn up their businesses. That's wrong. Uh, there and you see this is this is part of the problem. The president's tweeting today about silent majority. I, I I don't know how silent it is or whether it's the majority, but I do think there are a lot of people who they look, for example, at what happened to Drew Brees, and they're like, why is he apologizing for this? Why does he have to apologize for this? And 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 what about the couple that was executed? And and why isn't the media covering that? What why all of these things? Um, I uh, y'all um. Our coverage is being steered in politically opportunistic ways to advance agendas that aren't necessarily the agendas we should be caring about right now when it comes to what happened to George Floyd or Ahmed Arbery. Um, so much of this is being hijacked by people who are out to uh, upend American politics for their own political purposes and not for the purposes of rectifying wrongs. And you need to be mindful that that's what's going on out there. Hello there. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Have you heard about the hydroxychloroquine studies? You know, uh, so the president comes out and says maybe people need to take hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine is the um, quinine derivative. It is used for malaria. It's used for, I think, lupus, um, MS. It's used for a variety of things. And a bunch of studies came out and said that, no, actually, it can be fatal. People are dying from it. Now, the people who take it regularly, they're like, no, it's not. It's more harmful than Tylenol. But no, no, no. Medical experts, when the president came out and said, you should use hydroxychloroquine, oh, my goodness, no, you shouldn't. You're going to, everybody's going to die. Well, the Lancet, uh, the medical journal Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine, they're retracting the studies now because it looks like the studies may have gotten it wrong. Uh, that said that it would be bad for COVID-19. It turns out, actually, there are optimistic signs it may work. Now, you notice, watch what's going to happen. The story is going to go away now. The story is going to go away now. Because the media could use the story to hit the president and say the president got it wrong, and they relied on these studies that showed hydroxychloroquine was bad, and now those studies are being retracted because it turns out it may not be bad. And so now they're having to rely on the studies that said it's not a preventative for uh, COVID-19, which no one argued it was preventative for COVID-19. Even the president didn't argue. He took it. Yes, the president claims he took it. No one actually believed he took it. Uh, but the president didn't even argue that it was a preventative. He didn't argue it would prevent you from getting COVID-19. No one, no one claimed that. Um, and, and it's just, it's, it's, it's silly. Uh, the outrage is absolutely silly. Well, my goodness, really, uh, Mary Lee Rogers on the phone. Mary Lee Roger, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. And welcome home. 
You're Thank doing you. a good job, and I'll listen to you regularly. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, and, and I I'm glad you reported you. on your wife's condition. I, I knew she had cancer, but uh, I, I for, uh, Eric, I've forgotten her first name. Christy. Okay. Well, I hope she gets along okay, but I just want you to know, uh, I listen to you all the time. You're doing a great job. Well, thank you so much. It is so good to hear your voice. Well, it's good to talk to you, and you're a minister now, right? Well, I, so I'm in seminary. I, I, have, I haven't been ordained, but I'm certainly going. Oh, you're, yeah, well, uh, I don't know whether you know my minister or not, uh, Will Johnson. I, I think we've met. Oh, I bet you have. I bet you have. He's, he's young, too, and uh, we're proud of him, and he's, he's going back to schools, too. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for calling in. I sure appreciate it. Mary Lee Rogers, she was, uh, worked at city council. When I was on city council, yes, believe it or not, I was actually elected one time. Is that not horrifying? Worst job I ever had, <laughs> but she made it a delight and I haven't seen her in years. Um, so I, I guess I was on the Macon city council. I, I was in the seat for, for, uh, for North Macon seat. This is before the County and the city consolidated. And, uh, that there were a number of people who had been in the seat and they had had to step down and there were special elections. And then, uh, the guy who got it decided not to run again. So I ran and I got elected and it was the worst job. I have part-time job and it was miserable, but you know, so I ran a number of the seats. I ran a number of the races or helped fundraise for a number of the races. So I, Macon has, it had a 15 member city council, second largest in the state after Atlanta, even though it only had 90 some odd thousand people. And it was the only partisan city council in the state. And I was one of two Republicans who ran and got elected. And, but, uh, I helped a number of them get elected or helped them fundraise and wound up getting the chairman of the public properties committee and oversaw the airport and the golf course and all that stuff. It was one of the more prominent committees. And, and, uh, but then I got hired by CNN and it became so difficult, uh, to be there for the meetings. And I would try, people would, uh, blast me for not being at the meetings, but Oh, good grief. I didn't know what I was getting into. I knew I wasn't going to run for office again. And then when I got a job in radio, the radio station in Atlanta said I couldn't be an elected official and on radio at the same time, the FCC wouldn't like it. So I had to step down a couple months early. Um, but my goodness gracious, uh, what a time. It was so great to hear from her because she made that job a pleasure and it otherwise would have been just sheer agony to be there on city council in Macon, no less. Well, we got some breaking news we need to deal with here. Uh, before I get there though, if you're in Rome, I'm going to your rotary club here in 45 minutes or so. Uh, that's right. Uh, the Rome rotary club that meets, uh, today at noon, I will be there except, I'll be by Zoom. The Chinese will be able to eavesdrop on my conversation with the folks at the Rotary Club. <laughs> uh, but I'm looking for, I wish I could be in Rome right now. Um, but I can't. Uh, I'm ready to go to the beach too. I'm, 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 I'm ready for the beach. I'm taking off the week of July 4th, just so you know. I, I'm ready for a break now. I tried to take off a couple of weeks ago, and then the vice president showed up, and I had to work that day. Then I wanted to take off. I should have taken off yesterday for my birthday, but I didn't. Um, but nonetheless, I'm I'm ready to go to the beach. I, a lot of you need a break. I'm, I was actually just texting during the break with a friend of mine who – we had taken a trip to Vegas a while back together. He's like, it's, it's time to go. We need, we need a break from the world. I was like, yes, yes, we do. At least I'll have a week at the beach. And for the first time I'm going to the beach and I won't be writing a book or anything else, uh, which is good. No work. I'll just sit, sit by the, I don't even like the beach. I just like to go to Hilton head. I want a beach house in Hilton head one day. 
when I win the lottery and have money. Uh, but okay, there is news. That was very random, was it not? Uh, Ahmad Arbery's killer uttered a racial epithet after firing the fatal shot. According to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, there has been a hearing this morning. The three men of, uh, accused of murdering Ahmad Arbery in Brunswick, Georgia, had a probable cause hearing. Uh, uh, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Rody Bryan have each been charged with felony murder in the Arbery case, which has drawn national attention and sparked demonstrations because of the concerns surrounding the coronavirus panic uh, pandemic. The McMichaels and Bryan will appear on video for their hearing. Greg McMichael told police... He suspected Arbery, age 25, of committing break-ins. A video Brian shot shows Travis McMichael briefly tussling with Arbery at the Satilla Shores neighborhood before firing three shots at him. Family and friends say Arbery was an avid runner who was out for jog. The McMichaels and Brian are white. Arbery was black. Protests are expected in Brunswick throughout the day. Similar demonstrations have rocked cities around the country in the wake of a video showing George Floyd's death in Minneapolis. Now, let's see. Uh, the hearing is going on, and the AJC is um, covering it. And according to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, Travis McMichael said, now this is their interviewing, uh, let me let me find who is Dial, just so I have the names right. Uh, this is... Um, he is one of the Georgia Bureau of Investigation reporters. He says at one point, Arbery runs a different direction in an attempt to avoid the McMichaels. Travis McMichael gets out of the truck to confront him. Mr. Bryant pulls out of his driveway and then tried to block Mr. Arbery in. Mr. Bryan is outside his residence and has a video camera. Mr. Arbery is trying to get away. Bryan gets in his truck with the intention of pursuing Arbery. He does not call 911. Arbery goes around Bryan's truck. Bryan tries several more times to block Arbery with his truck. Arbery kept jumping out of the way and tried to leave the neighborhood. Bryan pursued Arbery down the road. Brian turned on his cell phone camera to videotape Arbery. The video shows Arbery trying to evade Brian's truck. At one point, Brian's truck made contact with Arbery. Arbery is caught between the McMichaels and Brian's truck. Brian picks up the phone and holds it up to videotape Arbery. Travis McMichael is holding a firearm. Arbery runs and sees McMichael and then changes direction to go around the truck. A shot is heard. Travis McMichael and Arbery get involved in a struggle. Arbery strikes Travis McMichael. Two more shots are fired. Arbery falls. Arbery shot in the center of the chest in the upper left portion of his chest and his right wrist. Three spent shells from a shotgun were recovered at the scene. Travis McMichael told authorities he fired a shotgun. Evans is holding a magnified photo of the Satilosaurus neighborhood while talking. Uh, Evans is the lawyer interviewing Mr. Dial from the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Greg McMichael says he heard only two shots. He may not have heard the first shot. He was on the phone calling 911 at the moment. Greg McMichael told his son Travis not to shoot. Travis McMichael admitted to firing his shotgun three times, hitting Arbery each time. Brian admits to pursuing Arbery and trying to block and detain Arbery several times. Travis McMichael said at the crime scene after fatal shoot after the fatal shooting and before the police arrived, according to Brian, blankety blank inward. 
effing inward. That's what Travis Michael said after killing Ahmed Arbery, according to Mr. Bryan, who is also charged having videotaped what happened. This is not going to be a good outcome for them. But you know, can, can I note something in the Ahmed Arbery situation? There haven't been violence violent protests and there have been protests righteous anger there has been righteous legitimate anger at what happened i continue to say and the same thing with with george floyd the same thing with ahmed arbery we should not need videos to be upset about this stuff we should not have to have people go to the press with videos to be upset with this stuff. And yet that's what happens every single time. There should have been justice then, but there wasn't. And now the facts are coming out and the facts are not good for the McMichaels or for Mr. Bryan who aided them in trying to stop Mr. Arbery. And y'all, that's a problem. And it's unfortunate. And I, I hate that we are at a situation where we're having to wait for video to get outraged at this stuff. But that's the world we live in now. I just, I would like to commend the protesters in Brunswick. Maybe the situation will change. But it's been nice to see peaceful protests of righteous anger about the situation. It's It's been nice. It has been nice to see them take a stand. It has been nice to see them out there calling for justice. Justice is supposed to be blind. You you know, the difference between social justice and real justice is, is social justice attempts to right wrongs by upending society. Social justice says essentially that you must, uh, we must shift paradigms in society. We must shift the way we do things to to compensate for prior acts. And, and justice is blind and justice, real justice says no, you don't up in paradigms to, to make right, to, to make wrongs right. Right becomes wrong, so wrong becomes right. You, you don't do that, uh, you, but you find the actual problem and you fix that problem. There is a difference between social justice and real justice. And social justice would reorder society because social justice wants to bring about a heaven on earth and real justice recognizes we're never going to have a heaven on earth. You know, so much of what we're dealing with here is a secular religion. You have your sacraments. You have your religious rites of passage, your religious rituals. Instead of going to church, you go to a protest. It, it, it's, it's not a coincidence. It is not a coincidence in the grand scheme of things that in a secular religion, 
You can go protest on a Sunday, but you can't go to church because church is part of the order that must be upended and protest is part of the new secular religion. So you go protest on Sunday, you don't go worship on Sunday. You don't need Jesus on Sunday, you need protest. That's part of the problem we're dealing with here. It's part of the problem uh, we are we're we're dealing with in society is, is social justice attempts to bring heaven to earth, rejecting the whole idea of heaven and afterlife, tries to make it good here and now, and it takes away hope in the process. I mean, just just think about this. You you've got an entire group of people out there leading riots in the streets who believe that when when they die. The worms eat their body, and that's it. There's nothing there. And and they can say, but science all day long, but these are the same people who think boys can become girls, girls can become boys, that you're, you're born deciding whether you're gay or straight, and you get to pick whether or not you're boy or girl. The same people who believe all that say they're science, they're science, they're science. The science says don't go march in the streets because you're going to get the virus and spread it. you got to stay home. But, hey, nope, nope, nope. The, apparently, this is it is unique in human history. We finally have a virus that spreads in crowds unless those crowds are marching for social justice. And then the virus is like, I'm down with that social justice, y'all. Either the virus is going to spread or it's not. It's either science or it's not. This is a religion. This is a dogma. This this is rites and rituals and sacraments. Abortion is a sacrament of, of the secular left. Um, the, the, these riots and protests and vandalism to, to redraft and, and reshape the world order. It is a secular religion trying to build a utopia. And it's, how is it trying to do it? It's trying to do it with a group of people who brought you all the problems to begin with. That's why it makes no sense. There's really no logic. When you when you when you get down beneath the surface of this, it really doesn't make any sense. So, for example, take what happened to Drew Brees. Let, let me let me play you. Let, let's go full circle here to the beginning of the show today. To, to Drew Brees, let me play you, Don Lemon. Drew, I like him. I, I I played a little bit with him. I I love him. I think he's a good dude, a good father, and a family guy. Uh, obviously, a great NFL player, but he's totally wrong on this. And if he actually listens uh, to what the players have been saying from the very beginning, the players that are in his locker room, the players that he sees every day, the guys he hangs out with, the guys that he considers family and brothers, if he actually listens to them, he'll get to understand uh, the real true reasons why not listen to the propaganda that has been propped up by uh, the conservatives, the far, uh, the right wing media about this being anything about the anthem, about mm-hmm. this being anything about the flag or even yeah. more despicable about yeah. being about the troops. Yeah, um, because what Aaron Rodgers should know, I mean, I'm sorry, not Aaron Rodgers, what, what Drew, Drew Brees should know, huge fan of his playing, have been for years, this has been very disappointing, uh, is that the same, that's what his, his grandparents and relatives were fighting for. That's part of freedom of expression, is part of the Constitution. And those people, the people who fought in those wars, um, it was for the Constitution. And I, I, I just I don't understand um, Drew Brees, who has been who has done so many good things in the past, especially with, with, his do- with the money that he donated during COVID-19 and so on and so forth. I don't understand what he what he's not getting about this particular issue. And perhaps he can be uh, educated on it. 
Perhaps he can be educated. His wrong think for daring to say he will never disagree. He will never agree with anyone disrespecting the U.S. flag. You know, let, let's let's be real honest here. Let, let's not be revisionist in history. When Colin Kaepernick first took his knee, he was taking a knee to the flag and the country. It wasn't about police brutality at first. He revised it because of the outrage. Let, let's not be revisionist here. It wasn't really initially about police brutality. And he's gone back and forth on this, whichever way uh, can can get him out of the problems he caused for himself. It uh, it was about, no, it was about America. No, it was about the police pollution. No, it was was about systemic racism. No, uh, he he shifted his story over time. But but here's the, it's very disappointing in Drew Brees. He doesn't, he doesn't want to listen. So what happens, what happens if Drew Brees listens and says he disagrees? See, you, you need to understand this. The listening isn't the relevant point here for them. The listening is actually, you got to shut up. And if you come away with a different conclusion, well, you're a bad person, y'all. So you're telling me your solution to systemic racism is to elect a man who was in government for 43 years and wrote the laws that perpetuated systemic racism, that that'll fix the problem. See, when you scratch the surface of this stuff, it's the logic of an insane asylum. There are legitimate grievances. Let's not deny there are legitimate grievances. Have you seen the video of George Floyd? Have you seen the video of Ahmed Arbor? There are legit grievances out there, and they need to be addressed. But what's happening is is this larger movement of progressives is taking the legitimate issues, and, and they're kind of shoving them aside. George Floyd who? We got systemic racism. I mean, you know what we need to fight systemic racism is we need to upend the Western order, get rid of the Constitution, establish a utopia built on Karl Marx's ideals, and shut up if you don't think otherwise. You're supposed to be listening to me. You got the entire Fortune 500 coming out and saying, we agree with this. This is bad. If you got the entire Fortune 500 already saying, why does this exist? Because they're racist and they don't know. You know what this is going to be a boon for? It's going to be a boon for the the, the women and gender studies professors and, and, and the like out there in the, in the racial grievance programs and college campuses. They're going to get better jobs now because they're going to be they're going to be systemic racism coordinators and rooters outers. That's that's what it'll be. They'll be the roto rooter of, of the systemic racism. That's what you'll get your college degree in. I specialize in the roto rooter system of rooting out systemic racism. You got to hire me. And if you don't, you're a racist. That's exactly what's going to happen with all of this stuff. People will make money off of it. And by the way, nothing will actually change because if it actually changed, they couldn't profit off of it. You could, except you've missed out now. It's the end of the show. You've run out the clock. If you're in Rome, I'll be with you here shortly by Zoom. Uh, If you're in in the Rotary Club there. There may be multiple Rotary Clubs in Rome. I don't know. We've got several Rotary Clubs here in Macon. They haven't asked me to come to the Macon Rotary Club. I I would go to the Macon Rotary Club. They haven't asked. I'm just saying. I've spoken there before, back when I was on CNN and on City Council. Um, and now here I am on radio and no one, I'm also going to Clarksville, uh, in, in a couple of weeks, uh, I will be up in Clarksville. I, and, and I think I'm doing that one in person. I'm ready to go up there to the mountains. Um, but nonetheless, I'll be there soon. Uh, in Columbus, Ohio, Condado Tacos, I believe I'm saying that right. Columbus area Condado Tacos. 
closed on Tuesday. They have multiple locations and they closed on Tuesday after employees refused to fill an order for Ohio State Highway Patrol troopers. Employees were asked to make a 500 taco order for the law enforcement agency. Several employees refused and walked out. Some employees said the district manager stated they would be fired if they walked out. It was pretty clear where the situation was going in, so I just didn't feel it was right to stick around. They kind of drew the line in in the sand, I think, said Jake Widdenson, a Condado Taco employee. A spokesman for the restaurant group said Condado Taco's Polaris location received the paid-in-full catering order on Wednesday night from the Ohio State Highway Patrol. The spokesperson said no employees were fired after a few employees expressed they were uncomfortable with fulfilling the request. But you know what? You go bake that cake, you bigot. You go bake the cake, bigot. That's right. Somebody comes into your location and they they want a cake to celebrate their transgender transition. By God, you better bake it or else. You you got a cake for a gay wedding and you're an evangelical Christian and you were chosen so that they could rub your nose in it. You better bake that cake or else. But don't make the taco for the police. You're okay if you don't make the taco for the police. But if you're a Christian, by God, you better bake that cake, you bigot. Again, the logic of the insane asylum. Can't we just all leave each other alone in this country? I still think federalism is the answer to what ails us. Uh, we, we got uh, the, the the founding fathers, and this gets to what James Mattis said, is, is to, to focus on the founders' original vision. There are 17, 18 things in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution that the state ceded to Washington and said, Washington, here is what you take care of. We'll take care of the rest. And Washington incrementally expands its reach, and the Supreme Court has allowed it over time and, in fact, uh, led the states do stuff. And if you want to live in a state that has gay marriage and abortion, God bless you, go do it. And let me live in a state that has no abortion and no gay marriage, and uh, my team will eventually outbreed your team through through uh, marriage and having kids and whatnot while you're killing them all off. But you know what? Let, let, let's do it. God bless you. You go pick your state. I'll pick my state. But right now, the, the craziest, fringiest single person can disrupt the plans of the entire state, even though you should be allowed to live in an area of shared interests. But you can't do that in this country anymore. It's all got to be of the left.